0: Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 podcast, where we share the Sermon of the Week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Everybody doing well? Anybody missed the State Fair yet? No. Everybody sounds not too excited about state fair. Understandable. I went yesterday for the first time uh with my daughter and my wife and my son. They my son didn't really do anything, but my, my daughter, uh he's only five months old, I think. He's five months, six months? One of those. Uh he's fresh, just put it that way. Um but uh, yeah, my daughter got to get on rides, that was a lot of fun, and uh, we went down the giant slide, no one got hurt, you know, that's probably, that, that slide has taken more casualties than any other ride at that fairgrounds. I used to work that slide, and let me tell you, I've seen some people get some speed on about that third hump, their eyes get big, they freak out, it's all over with then. So yeah, um... But uh, it was a good time. Like I said, no, I got hurt, and I had some cheese curds. Wasn't a good call, but I had them anyway. And uh, pizza pretzels and, you know, stuff, stuff that we don't usually eat. So anyhow, uh, today uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be speaking to you um, something I believe that God's put on my heart uh, for this season, for this time. And that is, uh, I'm, I'm going to be speaking to you about this idea that vision is greater than sight vision is greater than sight. And and I want you to understand that uh, if you desire to receive the promise of God for you in your life, you will absolutely 100% need to have a vision. But that does not mean that you will need to have sight, right? If we had to have sight for to, to receive the promised land, the thing that God has for us, then then what would all the blind people in the world do, right? No, you don't have to have sight in order to receive the promise of the Lord. All you have to have is a vision. And my prayer today is that as we take a look at uh, Moses and and the Israelites, that you will begin to understand that not only do you need vision, but that vision is greater than sight. And that the difference, that there is a difference between seeing where God wants you to be and having a vision where God wants you to be. I don't want to uh, get ahead of myself, but I, I really want to give you a couple of nuggets. And let me tell you something. Also, by the way, side note, uh, everyone, please, please, please begin to develop the uh, conviction and the consistency to take notes in church. Uh, it, it is a great practice because the shortest pen is longer than the longest memory, Right, you always remember what you write down. You always—I don't even know who said It's like, sorry, I didn't mean to say anything. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, you always remember what you write down. You know, I—I have notes now for everything. I stopped lying to myself and being like, "Oh, I'll remember it." No, I won't. I don't have that good of a memory. I'm not that good, okay? So I write it down. And then when I'm like, hmm, I think I heard that before, I can usually go and find the notes. Actually, it happened a couple years ago or a year ago or so. Ryan was preaching. Hey, what was that? Uh, You heard that? Remember we talked about that thing? I'm like, oh, yeah. And I was able to go back to the notes and tell them what it was because I had wrote it down. All right, so write notes, take notes. I put them on my computer, save them. It's amazing. And also another perk is I uh, learned, I think it was in the Bible or something, that if you, uh, if you take notes in church, you'll get a better seat in heaven. That I'm pretty sure that was in there. Pretty sure that was in there. I don't remember. I think it was in like Ecclesiastical 17, something like that. But I want to give you a couple, of, I give you a couple little notes, uh, a, little, a couple little nuggets. All right. So listen, when you see the promised land for your life, you're comprehending it only in the physical, natural plane. But when you get a vision for the promised land, you begin to comprehend it spiritually. But first, or but then after that, it'll shape what you think in the natural, okay? So when you, when you understand that there is a promised land for you, What happens is you see it, right? But that's only natural. That's only physical. But when God gives you a vision, you see it in the spiritual first and that shapes what you see in the natural. The next thing is this, that vision doesn't move blindly, but it just overlooks what is seen because of what is unseen. Vision does not move blindly but it just overlooks what we can see in the natural for what we can uh, not see in the supernatural. And lastly, vision sees the way God sees, while sight sees the way the world sees. I'm not going to give you guys any more. I really don't want to get ahead of myself, but but we're about to go into our text, and so uh, get your Bibles ready. We're going to go to uh, Numbers chapter 13, Um, but we're picking up this story, and it's about the Israelites, and it's about Moses, and what's happened so far, uh, just kind of give you a quick synopsis if you're not um, familiar with this story, is that is that Moses has led the people out of Egypt, okay? So he's led the Israelites out of Egypt, and uh, they're on their way to the promised land. And now they've reached the verge, all right? They're almost there. Um, And before they go in, the Lord tells Moses, he says, send out spies, okay? Um, So send these spies out to the land, and I want you to send one spy from each tribe, so there's 12 spies that goes out, and I want them to come back and tell you how the land looks, So that's where we pick the story up, and we're going to start in uh, Numbers 13, verse 27, and it says this, and they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb. the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Verse 32, so they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all of the people that we saw in, in it are of great height. Underline that, that word there, saw. I want you to, to underline that, saw. It, it shows up a couple times, but right there in verse uh, 32, saw. And then again in verse 33, it says, And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the, the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. We seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seem to them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for who you are. And God, I pray that, that as, as we come before you today, God, I pray that our hearts would be open. That the soil of our spirit, Lord God, would be just fresh and ripe and ready to receive the seed of your word. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come in today, that you would speak to each and every one of us believers, that you would allow us to hear your word the way you want it to be heard, that you, would, that you would begin to show us in the spirit realm the promised land that you have for us. And I pray that today that we would feel a new level of faith in Jesus' name, Lord God, that we may be able to overcome the things that are seen, Lord God, because of what is unseen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are and what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I've been married now for um, six years, and that's a testament to my wife. Praise God for her. And uh, I I, I love um, being married. I would actually recommend marriage uh, for lots of different reasons. I think marriage is amazing. Uh, It it is difficult. Um, Before I got married... I didn't necessarily understand why people got divorced. Right. I mean, I knew like it was something that happened and I had my opinions and my thoughts of it, but I didn't really understand why, because I was not married. But now that I'm married, I understand why people get divorced. Why? Because marriage is not easy. Okay. Now, now with that being said, I still believe that, you know, me and my wife, we, I think honestly we have a great marriage and, uh, I would attribute the majority of that to my wife, right? Honestly, I'm not just saying that because I want brownie points, uh, but I really, really do believe that she's a great spouse, and um, it does make it easy to be married to her. She doesn't have like weird tics or habits, and uh, you know, there's not anything crazy. She's not like high maintenance or anything, um, so it's great, right? And she and 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 she puts up with my junk. But more importantly, she laughs at my stupid jokes. Uh, That is probably my favorite thing. I'm like, yes, somebody to laugh at at my stupidity. But over the years, um, I I honestly can say that that marriage has taught me so many different things. It's taught me uh, to love even when there's nothing in it for me, right? Even when I'm not going to get anything back, marriage has taught me, hey, you need to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Marriage has taught me uh, teamwork the way no sport could ever teach me what teamwork is. God kind of has, has started this journey with us a couple years back, and, and uh, it was about, it's about, been about teamwork, and it's been about, you know, hey, I'm helping you out, and you're helping me out. I'm playing my position, and you're playing your position, and it's all for the greater good of the team, right? We're on the same team. We're not fighting against each other, but we're fighting with each other right? We're not, we're not going against, uh, I'm not going against my wife, right? She's not the problem, right? The problem is the problem, not my wife. And so when I realize that she's not my enemy, when I realize that we're on the same team, what happens is I can go to her and say, Hey babe, how do we fix this? How do we overcome this? Not, Hey, you're the problem. You need to fix this. Right? (laughs) Right. So we, uh, are on a team, and it's marriage has taught me teamwork. No way, football ever could. No way, wrestling ever could. No way, track ever could. Um, no way, baseball. Definitely not baseball. I played baseball one year. We were horrible. Um, seriously, we were like the bad news bears. It was terrible. <laughs> marriage has also taught me what grace lived out looks like. Right? It, it, it's been such an amazing thing. And, and not only that. It hasn't only taught me all these lessons, but marriage has really highlighted all the things that my wife is good at, right? She's she's good at a lot of things. She's great at being a mother to our children. Like She's really good at that, right? She is, like I said, she's good at taking care of me. She's good at, you know, laughing at my jokes whether she wants to or not, like all those different things. She's really good at that. But one thing that marriage has taught me, uh, or one thing that is highlighted about her, one of her giftings is that my wife is really good at like transforming things. And what I mean by that is like home makeover, you know, chip and Joanna Gaines make a house into a home type transformations. Right. And, And this, this, this is, this is a good thing. But it has its downsides, right? Because, can I tell you something? I grew up single parent home. My mom was awesome. She was amazing. She worked hard. She provided for us. We never wanted absolutely anything. But the one thing that we didn't really have, and I did not really care about, was like the house wasn't necessarily decorated, you know, nicely. It wasn't bad. It just wasn't like, Oh, there's stuff on the walls and there's foo-foo stuff here. And like, you know, it was just a house. Like we lived in the house and I didn't know any different, right? But now that I've been married for six years, I've come to learn that like my wife really has a high value for uh, our house being a home and like having pictures on the wall and having stuff in order and having like the right paint colors and all these different things that I literally could not care less about. Couldn't. Right, she actually cares about this stuff, and so this is great. But inevitably, wives cover ears for just a second. Inevitably, what happens is during the process of putting pictures on the walls, or during the process of putting paint on the walls, or during the process of moving around the living room for the 14th time a pseudo-argument ensues, right? And she tells me, she's like, I remember one time we, we had this like little mural. It's not really a mural. It's just a bunch of stuff on the walls. I don't know what to call it. It's like picture frames, clocks, stuff that like, it just doesn't matter to me, right? They're all on the wall. And they're like organized all abstractly. So I'm like, all right, cool. Let's do this. You know, because I'm, listen, I'm a doer. I don't I think about stuff, all right? I do stuff. OK, so so I'm like, here we go. We're about to do this. We're doing this. We're completing a task. Right. And she's like, I'm thinking to myself, all right, number one, the first picture goes up on the wall and you just put it there. No, that's not how that goes. Doesn't make any sense. She has them on the floor. I'm like, why are these on the floor? She's like, Cause I want to see where they go. I'm like, so put them on the wall. Like, this doesn't make any sense. She's like, no, if they're on the wall, then I can't move them. And I'm like, oh yeah, true, that makes sense, right? So what happens is during this process of figuring out how things should look, uh, we, we get in this thing and I'm like, babe, I just don't see it. I don't see your vision for this. I'm not, I, I, I can't understand this. I can't comprehend it. I'm not on the same page with you. And she's like, listen, I don't care. Move your big head out the way so I can see the wall and put the thing up, right? She doesn't actually say that. She's really patient. She's She's good. She doesn't actually tell me that. <laughs> but what happens is she does, hey, listen, it's okay. I got this. I got the vision, right? And so over the years, I've come to learn. I've come to understand because I know she cares about this stuff way more than I do. What do I do? I just yield to her vision, right? I, I, I have given up creative control for my house, There is one area where I have creative control, one single area. It is the basement, and it's not even the whole basement. I thought it was the whole basement, but we had a conversation like about six months ago where I discovered it is not the entire basement. I have an area about the size of this rug that I am in control of in the basement, And in that area, I have my computer for my office. I got pictures of Ray Lewis. I got pictures of the Baltimore Ravens stadium. I got a picture of Michael Jordan with a cigar in his mouth. I had a picture of Muhammad Ali, but it fell off the wall. And guess what? Now it's in the trash because I have control, right? I got weights, I got kettlebells. I have a rock that belongs outdoors, indoors, because this is my area. It's wonderful. Right. But that's the only area where I have control over. But everything else, all the other square footage in the house, it's hers. She can do whatever she wants. And I have one question. When she asks me, she wants to do, she, I used to get frustrated because like it would wear me out. Cause I'm like, now I have to do another thing. Right. But now I know, Hey, listen, she's not asking me to do anything. She's just telling me what she wants to do. And so now when she has a vision for something, what do I do? I have one question. You know what my question is? How much is it going to cost? <laughs> that's all I want to know. How much is it going to cost? And is that the best price? She'll say, oh, it's going to be this. I'm like, dang, that's a lot of money. She's like, yeah. I'm like, well, is that the best price? She's like, yeah. I'm like, do we know anybody we can borrow one from? Like, she's like, babe, you can't borrow picture frames. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. But what happens is, what happens is I've understood, I, I, I have come to realize, like I said, over these years of marriage that her vision is better than what I can see right and and I might not understand it I might not trust it sometimes right I might not get it but I know that her vision is greater than what I can see so I just simply go okay what do you want me to do where do you want me to go and when she says "Hand me the hammer I hand her the hammer When she says, put a screw there, I put the screw there. When she says, move that picture up and to the right a little bit, I move it up and to the right a little bit. Why? Because she sees things the way that I don't see them. She has a vision for the house and for the walls and all those different things the way I don't. And believe it or not, believe it or not, the way that I approach my life, my wife's ability to decorate and design our house is the same way you should approach God's ability to design your life. You may not understand it. You may not get it. You might not be able to comprehend it at all times. You probably don't know every reason behind why he's telling you to do what he's telling you to do or asking you to go where he's asking you to go. But if you will trust him, if you will trust his vision, then you will surely reach the promised land. But there's, a, there's an issue because for every promised land out there for every promised land God has for you there's also a problem land and you'll know you'll, you'll know this is the first thing you'll know you're in the problem land if what you see gets magnified over what he said the problem is oftentimes we're pursuing the vision for God for our lives and what we see gets in the way of what he said god said He'll give you rest, but all you see is work. God said you are free, but all you see is chains. God says you are strong, but everywhere you look, all you can see is weakness. I know it sounds kind of crazy, a little bit nonsensical, but, but the thing is seeing can get in the way of what God has said, right? It doesn't necessarily make sense. Because words don't materialize themselves. Words don't, like you're not seeing the words come out of my life. But that is the nature of the kingdom. And godly vision takes form in the spirit realm first. Whereas what is seen only lives in the natural realm. So when we hear God's promises for our, for our lives, oftentimes we can take hold of them in the, in the, um, in the spiritual side, Right? We hear it we take hold of it spiritually, but then we don't see them come to pass physically. It's this weird thing. You can be in worship. I, I can't tell you how many times where, where I've been in worship and God is just like giving me this awesome tour of the promised land for my life and for my wife's life and for our kids. And I'm like, man, this is amazing. This is awesome. Wow, God, you really want to do that through us. God, you really want to choose us for that. But then I open my eyes and I don't see that. Right? That's the nature of promises. And the challenge is, the challenge for us is that if we put more stock in what we see around us, we will never lay hold of the promises of God. As believers, our focus should be to hear the word of the Lord for our lives and obey with all we have. Hear the word of the Lord of your life and do everything you can in your heart to obey that. See, what happens is this. The Lord says to Abraham, he says, to, he says, go to the land, I will show you. He didn't say, go to the land that you see. But he says, go to the land that I will show you. Meaning, he hadn't, Abraham hadn't laid eyes on it yet. He didn't even know where he was going exactly. But God says, go to the land, I will show you. But then, as he stepped out, as he began to move, as he began to walk towards the promise for his life, it began to materialize in the natural. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 through 10, uh, it says this. It says that no eye has seen, right? No eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For the spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No eye has seen, right? But somewhere between Genesis 12, when God tells Abraham to go to the land, he was going to show him. And Numbers 13, when the 10 spies came back and gave the negative report, the people of Israel had allowed what they saw to get in front of what he had said. I don't know what it was. I don't know what happened. Maybe they were tired. I'm not sure. But the point is, God told Abraham one thing, the spies were supposed to give a good report or go and give a report, and somewhere in there, they had lost faith. Somewhere in there, the natural became more important than the supernatural. Let me ask you something. What is it that you see in your life right now that has gotten in the way of what God has said? What is it that you see? Maybe it's your bank account. Maybe it's your physical state. Maybe it's the house you live in. Maybe it's the job that you have. What is it that you see that has gotten in the way of what God has said? The second thing is this. You'll know you're in the problem land if you're more intimidated by who's against you than you are inspired by who is for you. Not only will, will, do we forget what he has said in light of what we see, but we also get intimidated by our enemies instead of being encouraged by our allies. You see, the 10 spies uh, uh, said to the people of Israel, uh, they were so intimidated, they had forgotten. They had forgotten God was with them because, because of their intimidation. And what happened is it caused them to forget who was with them. Numbers 13, 31 says this. It says, We can't attack this is the ten spies speaking. It says we can't attack the people because they are stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land that they had uh, scouted. The land was the land we passed through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in the land are men of great size. When we saw the Nephilim there, that the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. To them or to ourselves, we seem like grasshoppers and we must have seen the same to them. A couple things to know. Intimidation causes us to forget God's instructions, right? When you're afraid, when you're intimidated, you forget what God's told you to do. Intimidation breeds insecurity. When you walk by sight, you are easily intimidated by who is against you. But when you have a vision, you are only concerned with who is with you. Now, there's so much more I can, I can I unpack from that. But I really want you guys to just go ahead and, and take the opportunity later on this week, uh, whenever you have a, uh, a chance, but take the, ch- the, the opportunity to read numbers. Read numbers, which is like when was the last time you heard read numbers, right? But get into numbers. Get into the, 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 the journey of the Israelites to the promised land. Because I, I, I really believe that, that the life of the Israelites is just our individual life as believers, right? The way that they turn away from God and the way Aaron helped them build a golden calf in 40 days, right? All these crazy things. It's just us. It's just a, a story about how our heart is and how our heart can be. But if you want to reach the place God has for you, if you want to get there without becoming bitter, if you want to get there without getting tired, you know, the, the journey from, uh, uh, from Egypt to the promised land, you know how, it was supposed to, how long it was supposed to take? 40 days. That's it. It's just a 40 days travel. You know how long it took them? 40 years. Right? So, if you want to overcome these things, these struggles, then you must deep dive into the Bible. So now that we know uh, that 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 there are problems, now that we understand that just because we see the promise of God for our lives doesn't mean that we have a vision. Uh, The question is, how do we take that vision of the promised land and use it to overcome what we see in the problem land? The first thing you must do is that we must remember that it's a promise. You must remember that it's a promise. This is, this is insanely pivotal. You guys have to understand this. If you don't get anything else that I tell you this morning, please get this. Please understand this. Write this down. You possess promises. You don't fight for them. You possess pro- promises. You don't fight for them. See, this, this might be semantic. This might be getting down in the weeds, but I think this is so important. Uh, uh, Turn it into your Bibles, into um, Numbers chapter 13, and uh, look at the second verse. The second verse says this. It says, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Sends, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. The Lord said what he's going to give you, what he's going to do for you is a gift, right? You don't have to fight for it. The promises of God are not to be, not meant to be fought for, but they're meant to be possessed. And the last time I checked, I, my wife, when she gives me a gift, I don't have to fight people off and go, no, this is for me. No, it's a gift. Everybody knows it's a gift, right? The promised land is already prepared. The promise God has for you, it's already there right that provision whatever it is that you that you that that God has spoken to you about it's already yours it has your name on it it's a gift waiting for you and if you don't understand that i don't have to fight for this right you will spend your entire life trying to fight something or fight for something that's already in your possession right us as believers we fight for healing why what for her? It's already ours. And so we must understand that as believers, we possess the promises of God. We don't fight for them. Look, look at it in, in verse, uh, um, ver, uh, let's, let's go to verse 30, Numbers chapter 30. I'm sorry, 13, verse 30. It says, But Caleb quieted the people um, before Moses and said, Let us go up to go up at once and do what? Occupy it. For we are able to overcome them. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against these people. See, Caleb understood that it was just about occupation. It was just about possession. These other men, these other 10 spies, they thought, man, these guys are huge. We got to fight them to get this? Not a chance, Right? This was, this was a disease. These were terrible thoughts. This was fear that was just riddled through the minds and the hearts of the 10 spies. One, one last place. I'm going to show it to you one more time. In Numbers chapter 14 and verses uh, 8. Go to verse 8. Numbers chapter 14, verse 8. And it says this. If the Lord delights in us, this is Caleb speaking. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land he will bring us into the land, right? And do what with it? Give it to us. He says, if he delights in us, he'll bring us into the land and he will give us this land. Caleb understood they didn't have to fight for what was already theirs. All of God's promises are yes and amen in him. You don't have to fight for your healing. It's already yours. You don't have to fight for your provision. It's already yours. You don't have to fight for that breakthrough. What God has for you is already yours. Proverbs twenty-one thirty-one says this, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day for the battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Bill Johnson, love him, he's a genius. He says it like this. He says, we are not begging for a miracle. It's already been bought and paid for. And the entire Christian life for me is learning what is in my possession and what's in my account and learning how to make withdrawals. Learning what's in my possession and what's in my account and how to make withdrawals. Do I have money? Yes. How much money do I have on me? None. (laughs) There's no money in this wallet, right? But I have a debit card right here. And on this debit card, I know how to make withdrawals. I know what the pin is. I know how to go to the ATM machine and put the card in the machine and press the buttons and out comes what it is that was already in my possession. And if we're not careful, as believers, we'll run around acting crazy, being weirdos, freaking out about stuff that we don't need to freak out for because it's already in our possession. We already have it, okay? And so if you want to enter into the promised land, you must ask the Holy Spirit, is this in my possession? Is this what God has for me? And if it's what God has for you, then it's yours. You just simply have to figure out how do I possess this? How do I bring what's in the supernatural into the natural. The second thing is this we must remember that it is by his spirit. It is by his spirit. Numbers 14, 22, it says this None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these 10, men, ten times and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. And verse 24, this is it. But my servant Caleb, because he had a what? He has a different spirit. He has followed me fully. I will bring him into the land into which he went. And his descendants shall possess it. Underline that. Caleb had a different spirit. Caleb had a different spirit. Now, whatever spirit you have right now, rest assured, understand this. Whatever spirit you have right now will not take you into the promised land. Whatever it is, whatever mindset, whatever thoughts, whatever ideas that you currently have will not take you into the promised land. What you need is a different spirit. Caleb was not fearful, but he was courageous. And this type of courage in the face of giants only comes through a different spirit. Caleb was not faithless, but he was full of faith. And this level of faith only comes through a different spirit. Like Caleb, when everyone else around you is uncertain, questioning, insecure, and weak, a different spirit will cause you to be certain, secure, and strong in the word of the Lord. But the thing is this, we must remember if we want to have that different spirit, it only comes from the Lord. It only comes from the Lord. So we now know that God's promises are not to be fought for but possessed. We now know that God's promises are by his spirit. I got one more thing for you. The last thing is this. We must remember that it will take faith. It will absolutely take faith to enter into the promise that God has for you. Go to Hebrews chapter three and verses 12 through, uh, we're gonna go to verse 19. We'll start in verse 12, it says this uh, in Hebrews three. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And this is the verse we need to pay attention to. Verse 16. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we can see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. They didn't enter into the promises of God because of unbelief. It's simple. Taking possession of of the promise will take faith. There's so much I can say about this. I thought Hannah was going to ruin my message because she was getting all excited up here about faith. And I was like, here we go, Hannah. Go ahead. Just take half my sermon. Just kidding. But she didn't, and I was very thankful for that. There's, there's two things you must understand. If you want to be, write these down. These are two pivotal scriptures about, about faith. If you want to be a great man or a great woman of faith, you must understand that, number one, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And number two, you must understand that we ought not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. And we must live by every word that comes out of God the mouth of God. What that scripture doesn't say is this. It doesn't mean that faith comes by hearing the word of God. Right? It didn't say faith comes by hearing the word of God. If that was the case, then guess what we could do? We could put on uh, the Bible, the audio Bible, in our sleep and we'd wake up and we'd be great men and women of faith. Right? Faith does not come by hearing the word of God. right? Instead, we have to come to understand uh, is that the word of God written the written word of God enhances and it trains us what, what, to understand what we're hearing come out of the mouth of God, right? The written word of God, it enhances our hearing, it tunes our ear to his voice, right? And it trains us to know when and what God is speaking. And I I'll know I've I'll truly, truly heard because it will cause me to act upon what he has said. Right. I know that I've heard God because I'm acting on what he said, because faith is. Without works is dead. It's this beautiful cycle where I sit in uh, with God, with the Holy Spirit. I sit with the Holy Spirit, and I read the Word of God, which causes me to understand His character and His kingdom. Then from there, I begin to begin to discern again by the Holy Spirit uh, what His voice and nature is like, so that when I hear Him speak, I get convinced of what He said, and his, that voice that I'm hearing causes faith to arise in my spirit, and I begin to act on what I've heard, right? That's the cycle of faith and doing. That's the cycle uh, of of faith and works. Let me say it again, this is much more simple. I'm gonna say it this way. The written word of God brings clarity to the spoken word of God, which brings about action in the life of a believer. The written word of God brings clarity to the spoken word of God, which brings about action in the life of a believer. So if you want to be a great man or a great woman of faith, if you want to possess the promises that God has for you, you have to understand that we don't fight for promises. That's not something we do, right? We are in a position to where we possess the promises. You have to understand if you want to enter into the the promises of God, you must remember that it is by his spirit. And last but not least, you have to remember that it will take faith. If you want all that God has for you, it's going to take those three things. Stand up with me. You know there's 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 so much that can be unpacked. There's there's so many different things that that can be pulled from this story. And I I really didn't get to get a chance to get into some of the other things that I thought would be uh important, but I really felt like these words that God gave me today for each and every one of you is is, uh, exactly what he wanted to say. And if you're here today, whether you're a believer or not, you must understand something that the first promised land we must enter, enter into is the promised land of salvation. The beauty of this is that it's a promise. You don't have to work for your salvation. You don't have to get yourself together to enter to this promised land. You don't have to have all the right answers or do all the right things to enter to this promised land. But this promise, the first promised land you must enter into in the life of of a believer is the promised land of salvation. It's there for you. It's here for you. And maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to the Lord. And you say, Miles, I I, I want to enter to that promised land of salvation. Matthew, Henry, he says it like this he says difficulties that are in the way of salvation dwindle and vanish before a lively act of faith in the power and promise of God all things are possible if they are promised to him that believe today you can believe that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he rose from the dead you will enter the promised land of salvation Today, you can believe that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you want to enter into the promised land of salvation with every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, this is a moment between you and God. He said, Miles, I want to enter into that promised land of salvation. I've been in the problem land my entire life and there's been nothing but issues here. There's been nothing nothing but heartache here. There's been nothing but angst and anxiety and fear here. But I'm tired of living in the problem land and I'm ready to cross over into the promised land. Remember, you don't got to fight for this. You don't got to work for this. All you have to do is possess it. All you have to do is enter into it. And so if you're here today and you say, I want to enter into the promised land of salvation, I just want you to slip your hand in the air. I just want you to raise your hand and say, Father, I want to give my life to you. I want to to serve you. I want to live in the promised land knowing that I'm safe and I'm secure. Knowing that when I die, I can go to heaven. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, Lord. I'll just take this moment it's between you and God. Speak to him, confess your sins, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done wrong. I'm sorry for the mistakes I've made. I'm sorry for doing things my way. But right now, Father God, I repent for my sins. It's just turning away from them, a total 180. God, we turn from our sins and we run towards you. And Father, I say right now, Lord God, come hell or high water, I'm following you. When things are great, when things are bad, when things are 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 looking like they're gonna be amazing, and when things are looking terrible, God, I follow you because I don't walk by sight, I walk by faith. So, Father, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would you would secure these believers, every single one that raised their hand to enter into the promised land of salvation. I pray right now in Jesus' mighty name, Lord that they would know, that they know, that they know that when they die, they're going to go to heaven. God, those issues and those things that stopped, stopped them before, God, by the blood of Jesus, we break those right now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And the second thing is this. If you're a believer and you're here today and you say, I, I want to enter into that promise land that God has for me. And maybe you're here and and maybe you've never seen the promise of God. Maybe you've never laid eyes on what the promised land is for you. And listen, let me tell you something. It isn't isn't what you think it is. The promised land isn't, oh, this is my idea. This is what I want, right? God does not guarantee that he's going to fulfill what you want. But God will fulfill what he said, right? And so... We need to be convinced as believers in our minds and in our hearts and our spirits that what we see, the vision that we have from God is in fact from God. The promised land that he shows us is in fact what he's shown us. And so there's two people here today. They're, you've seen the promised land. You, you understand that God has a vision for your life, but you've yet to lay hold of it. You've yet to enter into it. And there's another person who here who, who has not seen that promised land for their life at all. I believe right now that God wants to give you a new level of faith. I believe right now that God wants you to understand and believe and know that with him, you can do all things. It doesn't matter who's against you. It doesn't matter what's in the land. But all that matters is that God, the Holy Spirit, is with you every step of the way on your journey. And so I just want you to, to place your hand over your heart. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move throughout this place right now. Every believer, God, if they've never seen the promised land, I pray right now by your spirit in Jesus' name that they will be shown exactly what it is that you have for them. Don't forget these moments. Don't forget what God is showing you. Don't forget what what the promised land looks like. God, I pray right now for just prophetic insight in Jesus' mighty name. That they may be able to see what it is that you have for them. Don't let them be swayed by it, but God, I pray that they would, they would understand that, that what is there in the, the spiritual realm is for them here in the physical. And now, Father, I pray for every believer that has already seen the promised land. Maybe you showed it to them 20 years ago. Maybe you showed it to them 10 years ago. Maybe you showed it to them yesterday or five days ago. But the point is, they know where the promised land is. They know what it looks like. They know what you've spoken over them. But for whatever reason, Lord God, they've yet to enter into it. I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would expose the things in them, Lord Jesus, that are not allowing them to possess what's already theirs. I pray for a supernatural acceleration right now in Jesus' mighty name that wherever they're at on their journey, that they'll be able to get there faster, better, more complete. You know, I really feel that, that something that's so important for you to understand is that fear. If you, if you look at these chapters and you really begin to study them, one thing you see pop up all the time in every single one of these, these 10 spies and, every, uh, and Moses and all of them, what pops up is fear. It just pops up all the time, all the time, all over the place. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. The 10 spies, they gave a negative report because of what they saw. And what they saw made them afraid. Fear has no place in the life of a believer. Fear has no place in the promise line. You cannot possess the promises of the Lord Lord being fearful. It's not possible. And this is something that, that God's really been working with me on. God's really been showing me some things, really been exposing me to what's next for our family and what's next for me. And it's exciting and it's awesome. But guess what? Fear tries to keep it, creep in and say, oh, you can't do that. Oh, it's not gonna work out. Oh, it's not gonna happen. No one in your family has ever done that before. You don't know how to do that, right? All these different things. But with the word of the Lord, right? With the sword of the spirit, I combat those things, right? It's not in my own strength, it's not in my own power, but it's by the spirit of the Lord. And so, some of you, you don't, you're, you're not entering in. I think I really believe that you're on the edge. You're on the edge of what it is that God has for you. But fear has taken root. Fear has begun to grow in your heart, and it stopped you in your tracks from entering to entering into what God has for you. And so, Father, I pray right now that fear will be gone, in Jesus' name. Fear be gone in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. The Lord has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. God wants you to know right now in this moment that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that anything God says that you can do, you can do. Any place God wants for you to go, you can go. He says, only ask and I will give the nations to you. So, Father, we pray right now in Jesus' name that we would no longer succumb to fear. God, that we would no longer be men and women who who make decisions because we are afraid. But, God, I pray right now in Jesus' mighty name that we would move under the unction of the Holy Spirit, under the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that every place our foot treads is ours. In Jesus' mighty name. We thank you, Jesus. We believe what you've said, Father God. I pray for a new level of of, of conviction and convincing that, that we're not, we see the natural. We see what's in front of us. We're not ignoring it. We're just more convinced by what is unseen than what is seen. We believe more in what you said than what's happening around us. And so, Father, we thank you for a new level of faith. In Jesus' name. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.